This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. I am senior writer Ryan Kennedy. My sponsor for this is Christian Hockey. My producer is Steven on the ones and twos. We're going to get to a lot of questions today uh, that you have submitted. and Some very good questions. Once again, good job, viewers. But first of all, as always, going to go with three players for the 2020 NHL Draft that have caught my eye recently. We're going to start out west with Connor Zary from the Kamloops Blazers of the WHL. He has been one of the most potent scorers in that circuit all season long. 36 points in 24 games. Has only been held off the score sheet three times all season, which is amazingly consistent uh, for a young player. I really love his vision. He's a volume shooter. He can score. He can dish. I think he's going to be a pretty exciting player to watch in what is not an entirely exciting crop of WHL prospects. Obviously, last year was very good at the high end with Kirby Doc, obviously what leading the way already in the NHL. Dylan Cousins, you know, Bowen Byram. That was a very good draft class for the dub. This one's a little more subtle, but I think Connor Zary really stands out so far. Uh, second, we're going to head to the USHL and Brendan Brisson. Uh, he's a center with the Chicago Steel. I was watching them the other day. Very smart player, a lot of skill. Chicago is a very good team all around, particularly up front this season. Um, but Brisson, 21 points in 18 games. That has him tied for top five in the USHL. There's actually a couple of Steel players ahead of him, uh, including Sean Farrow, who's also up for the draft. But I, I just really like Brisson's game. He's the son of super agent Pat Brisson, so he's obviously been around hockey his whole life. Went to Shattuck St. Mary's, the same prep school that produced Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taves, Zach Parise, a whole bunch of other kids. Uh, and he's committed to the University of Michigan. So a bright future ahead for Brendan Brisson. I think he could easily be a second-round pick at this point, given everything that he's done already. And, of course, you can expect to see growth in the second half, too. For my third selection of this show... Minnesota high school hockey. I love watching it. I love the fact that there's so many teams out there, great names, great uniforms, and you get a lot of great raw talent. So I'm going to go with Nate Schweitzer from Benilde St. Margaret's, the Red Knights. Uh, he's a defenseman, and the Minnesota high school game is kind of known for producing those swashbuckling puck-moving defensemen, you know, in the sort of Jake Gardner mode, you know, Mike Riley. I mean, there's just been too many, really, to name over the years. Uh, but Schweitzer, off to a great start. Six points in his first three games for the Red Knights, and that included a statement win over Edina, one of the consistent powerhouses of Minnesota hockey. Um, so Schweitzer, Schweitzer, off to a great start. He's a Colorado college commit, right-shot D-man, uh, obviously a great skater and can produce, so uh, I've been happy to watch him so far. So that's my top three for this week. Now let's get to your questions. Starting off with James Bartlett. He has been very patient because I know we've had this question for a couple of weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lucas Reichel and other German prospects eligible for 2020? So, James, very happy to answer this question because this is a very exciting year for German hockey. I would even say maybe the most exciting ever because there's depth. We're not just talking about one Leon Dreisaitl or one Moritz Sider. 
or one Dominic Buck. Lucas Reichel uh, is one of three major players that I'm looking at this year for the 2020 draft. Um, but I'll start with him since you mentioned him. 14 points in 20 games for Eisbaran Berlin in the DEL, Germany's top men's circuit. Um, you know, all these kids are playing against men, so that's a credit to them right off the hop. Reichel, he's the nephew of Robert Reichel. He's got a ton of hockey pedigree to him. I like that he goes to the net and that he obviously has skill. Um, which brings me to the next player, Tim Stutzel, who is probably going to be the first German player taken this year uh, if we're going off what has happened so far. 19 points in 21 games for Adler Mannheim, the same program that produced Moritz Seider. Uh, Stutzel is getting the most ice time out of the three players I'm going to mention. And, you know, those 19 points, if you look at Adler Mannheim, uh, and the same goes for Reichel, actually, the only players ahead of these kids on their team in scoring played in the NHL. So like Ben Smith and Andrew Desjardins uh, ahead of Stutzel, and then uh, Marcel Nobles and Maxim Lapierre are ahead of Reichel. So, you know, they're not only playing against men, but they're playing with and against former NHLers and having success. And Stutzel, I really like his game too. Just like Reichel, he's very tenacious in the offensive zone, makes a lot of things happen, and obviously he could produce. Also, you know, I had a chance to talk to Moritz Sider in the summer, and I asked him about Stutzel, and he said that he was a great friend of his, says, as good as he is as a hockey player, he's an even better human being. So Tim Stutzel gets the Moritz Sider stamp of approval. Not bad there. Third player I'll mention, J.J. Paterka, um, playing for Red Bull, Red Bull Munich. Seven points in 21 games, uh, which is still really good for a draft-eligible player. Like, we are talking about teenagers playing in a very good uh, European league. I think Paterka, along with the other two, will be on Germany's World Junior Team, and that's going to be a great acid test for them because I don't consider Germany to be the typical minnow country uh, like you know, like Kazakhstan, a t- you know, a team that has to really work hard all together uh, to be more than the sum of their parts. Like the Germans are going to have some star power. They're going to have Cider. They're going to have Bach. You know, Taro Jens, Justin Schultz will be there. So these kids will not be on their own, and I'm really excited to see how they can produce. And Germany is in that group of death with Canada, Russia, Team USA, and the hometown Czechs, the hosts who are going to want to put on a show. So they're going to have a tough road, but I don't think this is going to be a situation where, you know, the new team on the block gets blown out every game. I think these Germans can be pretty competitive, and hey, you know, maybe they get blasted by one of the big three in the round robin. It happens. But I don't think they're going to be pushovers. I think they have a legit shot at the quarterfinal, most likely at the expense of the Czechs, unfortunately. And even if they don't get to the quarterfinal, I would expect them to handle the relegation round pretty easily. I expect Germany to stay up. So all in all, very exciting year for the Germans. I think all three are Pretty good players. I would say they're easily all top 50. I think with Stutzel and Reichel, you're probably looking at first rounders, uh, particularly in Stutzel's case, but Reichel's playing so well too that maybe we just have to put him into that category. And I think Paterka's not that far behind them. So, thanks for that question, James. I know it's been a long time coming. Moving on to Rob Weisskopf, who asks... Where does goalie prospect Uko Pekaluokinen rank in terms of goalie prospects? Also, 
What is a realistic timetable for him and his overall potential? Uko Pekka, obviously the Buffalo Sabres prospect. Had some injury troubles. He's back now, working his way up. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was goalie of the week in the ECHL with the Cincinnati Cyclones. Steven's giving me the thumbs up on that, so clearly I'm correct. I would put Uko Pekka in a top tier of goalie prospects right now. If we're talking about drafted NHL prospects, he's right near the top. Uh, I would put him in the same cohort as Spencer Knight, the Florida Panthers first rounder, and Igor Shosturkin, the New York Rangers pick, uh, playing in the AHL. And Ilya Sorokin, still over in Russia, he's the Islanders pick. He would be in that company as well. Um, in terms of timeline, particularly because he lost time due to injury, I don't really think you can rush Luokin at this point. I think that it was great to have him start off in Cincinnati, and then I think you're going to see him obviously being an important contributor to AHL Rochester. And what you want to see in a goalie is for them to steadily progress. And it's interesting. I did an interview not long ago with Steve Shields, the former NHL goaltender. He's now working in player development with the University of Michigan. But he was telling me about his old goalie coaches. And uh, when it came to... Mitch Korn, the very famous goalie coach, it was right at the beginning of Steve Shields' career, and Mitch Korn set out a plan for him, and it was very helpful. And, you know, Shields had to start in the ECHL, and obviously, you know, that's kind of a bummer when you're coming out of your, your junior years, and you obviously want to be as at high a level as possible. But Mitch Korn told him, dominate the ECHL, then become a regular AHLer, then become a starter in the AHL, and go on a big playoff run, then be the best goalie outside of the NHL in your organization, then you get to the NHL. So when I look at Uko Pekka Luokanen, I see a player who can definitely tick off those boxes in pretty short order. He's been in the ECHL, although he probably wouldn't have been there without the injury. Go to the AHL. I don't think it's going to take too long for him to be one of the best netminders outside of the NHL. Um, and then, of course, he'll be ready to play for the Sabres. So what I'm re realistically seeing is that for the rest of this season, he's AHL tops. Next year, he probably starts in the AHL, logs a lot of minutes. Maybe you bring him up for a taste with the Sabres. I mean, you have Carter Hutton. You know, you're not desperate for goaltending right at the top, and you don't want to rush a player with such potential because Luokan has got the size, He's got the talent. He's got the demeanor. It's just really a matter of honing his craft. So I think, you know, could he be the Sabres starter in three years? Sure. But you got to make sure he ticks off all those boxes first. So thanks for that question, Rob. And I, I yeah, like you were saying there, playing the ECHL is not a bad thing. It's Buffalo does have a couple of decent uh, goalie prospects, but right now this is a guy that if he was up in the AHL right now, probably would be one of the best goalies in the league right now. But yeah. coming off the injury and uh, obviously, you know, had that fantastic in the OHL, it doesn't hurt. And this is a guy that he, I think he's the real deal. I do too. And there's no rush. And uh, I, I think everything is going to be good. Everything's going to be okay, Buffalo. Let's stick with goaltenders. Yaroslav Askarov asks Sam Gibson. Finally made his KHL debut. Is he truly the next superstar goalie prospect? 
Sam, yes he is. Yaroslav Askarov, he's the real deal. I am hoping that we see him a lot at the World Juniors. Now, I know Russia always likes to bring veteran teams, and that usually extends to goaltenders, although we have seen some guys um, come in at 18 and be very effective, Ilya Samsonov, for example. Um, but I just feel that the way Askarov is playing, he's going to force their hand, and he's at least going to have to be you know, like a battery mate to somebody uh, at the World Juniors. I call him the dream killer because he seems to dash the hopes of other countries internationally anytime he's in a prominent tournament. Did it to Canada at the Helenka Gretzky tournament. Did it to Team USA last year at the World Under-18s in the semifinal. This kid's got it all. I mean, he's got the size, the structure, but what I also like is that he'll come out of his structure in order to make saves if he has to. He has that confidence. He'll do that Tim Thomas thing if he needs to. And... I just I think the world of him. I think he's a legit top 10 NHL draft pick, and we haven't seen that in a goalie in a long, long time. But I think he's worth it. Um, so, yeah, calling him the superstar goalie prospect, I think it's fair. I, you know, I was super high on Spencer Knight last year. I'm still a huge Spencer Knight fan. But if you asked me to pick one or the other, right now I'd have to go with Askarov. And playing in the KHL, winning your first game, you know, with – a team like SKA St. Petersburg that has a lot of goalie depth and has very high expectations every season, to me that just speaks to the ice in his veins. I love it. So yes on Yaroslav Askarov. Uh, next, going to Akil Thompson. This is a New Jersey question. Ty Smith has obviously had a strong junior career, but will his game translate into a top-pairing role in New Jersey in the next few years? So, when I look at Ty Smith, I see a player that definitely has that potential because he is smart, he is such a good puck mover, and that's what you want in a top-pairing guy these days. He doesn't have a whole bunch of size, but I think if you look at what Quinn Hughes has done so far this season, you can see that if a player is skilled enough, size doesn't really matter in the NHL anymore. Sure, you need some of those bigger guys if you're going to clear out the front of the net, but you look at Hughes, and you look at Kale McCarr, who's a bit bigger than Hughes, but you look at how Kale McCarr uses his stick to defend, he gets the job done. And, I mean, we don't even need to talk about how good Kale McCarr is. Uh, with Ty Smith, I think the key is him getting different experiences. And it might take a little bit of AHL time, but it was good for him to get a long look this fall by New Jersey before he went back to WHL Spokane with the Chiefs because it allowed him to see just how much faster the NHL game is than the junior game. So when it comes to decision-making on the ice, it's got to be real quick. And I think that was a lesson that Ty Smith learned when he was amongst the Devils, that he's going to have to be really quick with all the choices he makes on the ice. And a lot of that's just going to have... To come with experience and there's going to be some trial and error but I see him as having the potential to be that top pairing guy really it's just a matter of getting up to speed uh, in terms of the uh, the mental side of the game and the decision making and of course you know to keep getting stronger so it's not going to happen overnight but I think it, it certainly could happen within the next you know three four years he'll, he'll work his way up I think that's probably the po proper way to go there Okay, so next one. 
We got a big what if question from Stefan S. And these are fun because uh, there's no stakes involved. If Taylor Hall is traded to Montreal, which prospects, players, and picks could he fetch without an extension? Now, this is a key. So I like that you put that into your question, Stefan. Um, I know I said your name two different ways, but I don't know which way you say it. So we'll stick with that. So Taylor Hall will be an unrestricted free agent this summer. So in this trade scenario, the Canadians are getting him as a rental. Now, I still think he can fetch a pretty good price because he is a game-changing winger. He's a Hart Trophy winner. That's really all you got to say. He's got great speed. I mean, if the Canadians were to get him, they would obviously be getting, you know, the gem of the trade deadline. So I'm saying first-round pick in 2020, that's a given. you got to have that for Hall if you're in New Jersey. Then we can go a couple of different ways. One player that I think you ask for in this deal, uh, or if you're Montreal, the player that you probably have to give up, is Arturi Lekkonen. And part of that is to make the money work a bit. I mean, Lekkonen makes 2.4, and then he also has another year next year, uh, and then he's still a restricted free agent, according to CapFriendly.com. So you're getting a little more certainty if you're New Jersey. You're giving up Hall, who might have left anyways. You're getting Lekkonen for at least a couple more years. Um, Hall makes $6 million. Lekkonen makes two point four. So the money doesn't work out dollar for dollar, obviously, but you're at least offsetting some of that cost if you're Montreal. And then you get into the point of negotiation. If you're in New Jersey, obviously, you're going to try to get a boatload. So you get a first, Lekkonen, and I'll say, how about Jesse Yelonen? A nice little prospect who also plays wing over in Finland. He's got world junior experience. Um, if you're the Habs, maybe you say, well, he's only a rental. Hall doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. We'll give you the first, Lekkonen, and we'll give you, like, a fourth, maybe two-fourths, because Montreal has four fourth-round draft picks right now for the 2020 draft. So there's obviously going to be a range in the negotiations, but I think the whole pick prospect and player is probably the the baseline deal, and then you kind of go from there. You do your negotiations from there. So thanks for that question. That was a good one. I, I enjoy those ones where I get to speculate wildly. We're going to stick with Montreal. Taha Ahmed asks... Thoughts on Habs prospects? I do have them. When do Cole Caulfield and Alexander Romanoff make the team? Is Caden Primo legit? So we'll start with Cole Caulfield. Obviously had a fantastic start to his NCAA career with Wisconsin. Has tailed off a little bit in terms of actual production. But this is, this is normal. He's a freshman. Coming in as an 18-year-old, he obviously doesn't have a lot of size. Other teams are going to hone in on him. Now, the one benefit of coming from the National Team Development Program in USA Hockey is that Cole Caulfield has faced college competition before. Uh, so it's not entirely new to him. But doing it every game is a grind. And I wouldn't mind to see him do two years with the Badgers. I know... A lot of people say he can play for the Habs next year, and maybe that's true. But 
would you not rather have a Cole Caulfield that is a little bit stronger, maybe 10 more pounds heavier than if he came out this year and he was only 5 pounds heavier? Would you not want a Cole Caulfield who maybe goes for a national championship? The Badgers are kind of an an inconsistent team this year. They're a lot of fun to watch, but I don't know if they have national title aspirations based on the first couple of months of the season. I don't know if they're going to get there. Next year, however, if you hold on to Caulfield, if you hang on to Alex Turcotte, if you hang on to some of the other high-end guys you have, I don't know if Keandre Miller stays another season. Maybe he sticks around because he wants to get a national title. But I think next year is the year that Wisconsin could really make noise depending on who comes back. So with all those factors, let's say Cole Caulfield stays for a sophomore season. Now after that, I say he goes right to the Habs. Maybe there's some AHL time mixed in there, depending on how his first camp is and what the Habs roster looks like. But if you can score like him, you're going to get to the NHL pretty quickly. Um, As for Alexander Romanov, Uh, here's a player that's going to be very prominent for Russia at the World Juniors once again. He was the defenseman of the tournament last year, which was a pretty good way to start off his World Junior career. I think he's going to be even more important now for the Russians, uh, because other than him, they're a little bit anonymous back there, which is not the worst thing in the world. But he's going to be the guy putting up the points from the blue line. Here's what I would say about Romanov that's important. Right now he's under contract with... Moscow, Central Red Army, uh, whatever you want to call them, CSKA. His contract ends this April. So April 30th, 2020, Romanov's contract is finished. Now, from now to there, he could sign an extension. Who knows? If he doesn't, then I think the most prudent move for the Canadians is to get him over here. Get him under contract. Get him to the Laval Rocket for a little end-of-season action. Now, this, of course, also depends on how far everybody goes in the playoffs and if they go to the playoffs. Um, But right now, in the KHL, Romanov's playing 12 minutes a night. It's not great for his development. That's how they do it over there. If you're a teenager, you're not going to get a lot of ice time. That's just the tradition. Pod Colson. Pod Colson. Play my boy. Play my lovely son. He's great. Um, but yeah, 12 minutes a night. It's third pairing minutes. Um, you know, he's, he's not getting a lot of offensive opportunities. You bring him to Laval. You know, I mean, the Rocket, I actually just saw them last week. And they're a decent squad, but they could use a little more dynamism on the back end. Uh, so I think Romanov could be a help right away. Either way, next year... I think you have him in Laval for probably most of the season, unless he just shines. If he dominates, then sure, bring him up, because Montreal could use that talent on the back end as well. But I tend to be conservative when it comes to these things. So for me, if he plays all of next year in Laval and maybe gets a game or two with the Habs just to get a little taste, that's fine by me. Um, but I think long-term, you're getting a really good pick. That was a very good selection by Montreal. They got a lot of value in that draft selection. Moving on. Brian Cron asks, Antonio Strongest gets a lot of love from the internet. I'm editorializing there. 
but I feel like he can't play defensively. What are your thoughts on him? It's funny because we were talking about this right before We were literally <laughs> talking about this before the podcast because I just saw the London Knights play in Mississauga uh, like five days ago. So Strongish is very interesting because he... He clearly has skill, and he's got that weird 10-2 skating style that Jeremy Bracco does sometimes with the Marlies, too. Now, the game I saw, Strongest really didn't play much. He got benched for basically the second period and all of the third until the Knights were up by a couple of goals, and then the very last minute of the game, he got a shift. Uh, usually he plays on the second power play unit. They did not give him power play time during that benching. There's some tough love going on with the London Knights right now. And you're right. Defense is going to be an aspect of Antonio's game that he's going to need to concentrate on because you can't be a one-way player in the NHL. And I am sure that Dale Hunter and his coaching staff in London know that and preach that and they're trying to they're trying to crack the kid they're trying to get him to understand that you got to come back pick up your assignments you got to be a 200 foot player because the london knights are not starved for talent that's the thing about playing in london is you know you might not get a lot of ice time as a youngster but you're going to work your way up the ladder you're pretty much always going to be contending you're pretty much always going to have NHL draft picks surrounding you, and if you're younger, you're going to have mentors, and that's that's certainly the case this year. Liam Foodie, um, you know, Alec Regula, Hunter Skinner's been drafted, um, you know, Connor McMichael is setting the league on fire, the Washington Capitals' first rounder, and then you have Strongest coming in. You also have Luke Evangelista up front, who's up for the 2020 draft, who plays a bit more of a well-rounded game, who understands that he's not going to be getting, you know, top unit power play time this year. But Evangelista got a regular shift in the top six when I saw him because he was putting in that work, and he did get a chance to showcase a bit of his skill too. So I think the lesson for Strongest here is listen to your coaches because Dale Hunter... And hey, the whole the whole Hunter crew that runs London, they know how to produce NHLers. And it's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be easy, but you need to take those lessons. So for Strongest, it's going to be a battle. But I think that because he's got the offensive talent, now it's just a matter of getting some buy-in. And if he can buy in, it's going to help his draft stock imminently because I feel right now it's a little dodgy with scouts um, but the talent's there so don't give up two more two more all right so now we have from can of soup since the beginning of the 2019 season and I gather you mean this season 2019-20 which prospect not in the NHL right now has shown the most unexpected growth. So this is a fun one. And maybe because he's on my mind, I'm going back to him. But I'm going to go with Connor McMichael. And, you know, he put up a good amount of points last year for the London Knights. 
But this year, he has just been devastating. The level of his goal-scoring ability is incredible. I think he's going to have a great role on Team Canada at the World Juniors. He's putting up a ton of points. He's facing the shutdown lines every night. He's still getting the job done. And I think that what we're seeing is really a great example of the London Knights NHL factory is that Connor McMichael had a nice role last year, but there were guys ahead of him. Now it's his turn to be the star. He has stepped into that role. He's done everything they want. He's taken the path. I remember talking to Dale Hunter at the CHL Russia series about McMichael, and he talked about the fact that you come in as a 16-year-old, you're probably not going to play a lot, but you keep at it, you keep growing, and eventually you're going to reap the rewards. And that's what Connor McMichael has done. Just the sheer volume of his points, I think, has surprised me a little. I, I always thought he was very good, but we're talking about a guy that's just like shooting the lights out. So I'm going to go with Connor McMichael. There's my choice there. Final question goes to Anthony Louie, podcast friend. Do you think Alex Turcotte and Gabe Velarde will be the future second and third line centers for the LA Kings, or has your faith in Velarde weakened? It's another good question here. Velarde is really tough because his career has been decimated by injuries. And he's just coming back now. He's going to be really behind the developmental curve. So I haven't lost my faith in him. I've just extended my timeline. It would be great if we were already seeing Gabe Velarde knocking on the door of the Kings because they could certainly use an infusion of talent. But given how much time he has missed, I'm fine if we don't see him in Los Angeles for another two years. I think that's just a realistic expectation for a guy that you know has great size, uh, has a lot of talent, was not the greatest skater in the world, and I can't imagine he's been able to improve upon that very much given the injuries he's gone through. Only six games played in two seasons. Six games in two seasons. And he played last night, though. That's good. Um, yeah, so it's going to take time. Can he still be a middle six center? I think he can. I think we just need to wait. Um, like I said, it's going to be a couple of years, and he's going to have to put in a lot of work because he's he's falling behind guys. Just It's just the nature of missing that much time at a crucial stage in development. When you're you know in your late teens, coming into your early 20s, that's when you want to be getting tons of reps and different experiences, and unfortunately, Velarde just hasn't been able to have those. Um, but I still think he can be... Very good. I, you know what? You almost have to treat him like a late-blooming college player now. A guy that comes out when he's sort of 22, and then he has to go to the AHL and establish himself playing against men in a pro setting. Maybe think about Velarde that way, sort of adjust your expectations, and know that the upside could still be there. As for Turcotte, you know, I, he's, it's just the beginning for him. And as I was saying earlier in the podcast, you know, that Wisconsin team has so much talent and Turcotte's a big part of it, but they're young. You know, a lot of their best players are freshmen. Um, Again, it's going to take time. I think Turcotte could be a number one center. And I think what's 
the best case scenario, if you're the Los Angeles Kings, is that in, let's say, three years, realistically, Turcotte's your number one, Andre Kopitar is your number two, or even three. I mean, Andre Kopitar is already a selkie guy. He could be your shutdown center, no problem. Unfortunately, he makes a ton of money for that role, but you do what you got to do if you're the Kings and you're rebuilding. There's also Rasmus Kapari to throw in the mix down the middle. So, I mean, the Kings are going to have options, but I don't think Turcotte or Velarde are ready just yet. I would like to see Turcotte play probably two seasons at Wisconsin, unless he blows the doors off in the second half. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't hurt to stay in that weight room a little bit longer, to go for a national title, which, as I said earlier, is probably not going to happen with the Badgers this year. Uh, but I think they could probably do it next year if guys stick around. So for Turcotte, I think he could be number one. I think he could definitely be the number two. Uh, Velarde, I think he could probably be a number two eventually, but it's going to take a while just because of the time that he's missed and things are looking up. So thank you, everybody, for your questions. I'm Ryan Kennedy. This has been the Prospect Podcast brought to you by Christian Hockey. Thanks for watching.